you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 team. Yo, 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 Dodger fans, welcome to Locked On Dodgers. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join us this Thursday night to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. This is the this is the daily podcast covering the World Series champion Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I'm Vince Samperio, Chavez Reen Fiends. And while I'm solo right now, I will not be solo the entire episode. It is Division Day. We have another crossover episode, this time with Locked On D-backs. I'll be talking with Millard Shane Thomas, the host of Locked On D-backs. And we'll be talking, obviously, about the D-backs and the Dodgers. But before that, a quick reminder to subscribe to Locked On Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. When you get in your car or if you're at home, tell your smart device to play podcasts Locked On Dodgers. All right, let's get into my conversation with Millard Shane Thomas of Locked On D-backs. Vince, say what's up to the D-backs listeners. Oh, what's up, D-backs fans? I'm sure uh, maybe some of you have come across my tweets slandering the D-backs in the past. So uh, if you're if you're not new, uh, hello. And if you are new, uh, welcome. Yeah, we've never had Vince on the pod before. We've had Jeff on, but this is the first time we're doing the crossover with Vince. And it's Division Day, so I think we got to start here. And, it, you know, it's what I ask all the people on Division Day to start it off. How do you think your offseason went? Because, of course, you guys got Trevor Bauer, the big fish, you know, probably the number one pitcher on the market. But you guys did lose some guys in free agency. You lost Kike Hernandez. Pedro Baez, Alex Wood, Jake McGee. So you did bring in Jake. Uh, you did bring in Trevor Bauer, but you lost some dudes as well. So how did you think of the offseason? Yeah, it was kind of interesting offseason, similar to last year's offseason, where they didn't really make too many moves. A couple of guys here and there uh, went to other teams. And then in February, the Dodgers just decided, oh, let's go get the best player available. Last year it was Mookie Betts via trade. This year, Trevor Bauer uh, via free agency. So, yeah, it was kind of, you know, Jack Peterson will be missed. Kike Hernandez will be missed. Probably more so in the postseason than the actual regular season. Uh, but getting Trevor Bauer, it just adds to, you know, he has really good postseason numbers. Obviously, he can you know, sustain pitching most of the time without getting hurt. And, uh, you know, he doesn't even necessarily slot into the number one spot, but he is, can be a number one for most teams. So it's just a, a luxury that the Dodgers added that kind of strengthens their pitching staff just because everyone else moves down a slot. So you got a couple, probably these couple of the younger arms move to the bullpen where they can, you know, throw 100 miles an hour and not have to worry about going five innings. Yeah, that Dodgers rotation is insane. I mean, David Price has come back. He's probably, what, you guys are number four, then Julio Urias, number five. Put Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin down the bullpen. Those guys would be number three starters on the D-backs team. So that's insane depth that you guys have. But Trevor Bauer, you know, he's an interesting fellow. And if you just kind of look at his career, he was arguably, I mean, he was the best pitcher in the NL this year. It's why he won the Cy Young. But if you look at his overall career, 2020 was amazing. 2018 had another stellar year, but outside of that, his, his career numbers aren't that great. So, do you think 2020 was kind of a fluke year, or do you think you're going to see uh, more of that in 2021 season? 
Yeah, it, it probably, you know, he definitely benefited. Uh, it's no it's no shock that the top two NL Cy Youngs were guys that played in the Central, uh, where there was, you know, I think eight of the ten worst offenses or something like that. Uh, so, you know, it makes sense in that in that realm. Uh, his his RPMs on his fastballs, his revolutions per minute has gone up a lot uh, last year, which, you know, benefits him. I think moving to the Dodgers and kind of their strategy, I would imagine they're working together, kind of figuring out how they want to attack. The Dodgers like to use fastballs up in the zone. Bowers fastball is pretty, pretty up there uh, in elite status. And, you know, if they get him up in the zone a little bit more, I'm sure it'll benefit him. So the good thing for the Dodgers is that they don't need him to be a Cy Young to necessarily, you know, win the division or, or even have success in the playoffs. They just need him to be you know, pretty good. And uh, I think he'll definitely be able to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, as a Cy Young guy, you would expect him to at least be pretty good, especially with that fat contract, three years, $100 million. But if you're active in our Locked On you know, MLB chat, you know, he's not a big fan in the MLB chat. They do not like uh, Trevor Bauer. Is What do you want to say about that? <laughs> he's a very – yeah, I mean, he's a polarizing guy on social media. So you know, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it was, you know, kind of bittersweet, I would say, in a sense, when the Dodgers signed him. You had a lot of Dodger fans kind of upset because of previous tweets and, and previous things he said. You got a lot of Dodger fans either just don't care because their team got better. And then, you know, if you kind of get off Twitter and, and kind of get into the real world, those fans don't really know what's going on. So they're all excited. The Dodgers just signed, you know, last year's Cy Young. So it, it was a it was an interesting moment. It's, it's every time he pitches, even in spring training, it's been an interesting time on Twitter. But you know, at this point, it's kind of, you know, that a lot of that stuff's in the past. And some of the stuff is, is maybe a little bit problematic in his views, but it was most of that, the problematic stuff was more five years ago. So, you know, a lot of people had different views in 2016 than they do now, just based on how the world went the last five years. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of try to give him the benefit of the doubt in that extent. And some of the stuff is just his views. And honestly, you know, even if you don't agree with his views politically or, or whatever else it is, uh, you know, th there's no reason for him to kind of conform to what everyone else is thinking. Yeah, I'm okay with someone sharing their views. He does have some controversial stuff in his past, but maybe he's grown from that and maybe he's learned from that. But as we were saying, three years, $100 million, it was like 102 or something like that. So overall, what do you think of that contract? Did they overpay for him or do you not mind the money sent for him? Yeah, I mean, I always like to say that it's not my money. So, it, you know, mm. at the end of the day, the the Dodgers contract with their with their uh, RSN with with Sports in LA pays for you know a lot of that stuff can can pay for pretty much a payroll for sometimes, uh, but yeah I, I think they overpaid it a bit just because you know it really seemed that it was just them in the midst at the end there wasn't really a bidding war going on they both had similar money on the table he ended up choosing the Dodgers after kind of you know almost taking the Mets just based on the fact that it, his team accidentally released all the Mets gear on Twitter and, and stuff like that so I think they overpaid but I think they did what they wanted to do the Dodgers have a lot of, a lot of young guys that are you know still under their their rookie deals or their their for, you know arbitration and all that so they're going to be relatively cheap the next 3 4 years so they can afford to overpay for Bauer now and then you know probably see he'll probably see his way out after that and it gives Bauer what he wants you know if he wants to leave after every single year he can uh you know he gets a lot of the money in the first 2 years last year he kind of plays really cheap at around 18 mil so uh it was a good structure the way they've tried to do it a few times with a couple other guys Bryce Harper namely uh didn't work out and then they ended up going long-term with Mookie. So, I, you know, they obviously have a threshold for guys they want to go long-term with and guys they don't. Uh, Harper and, and Bauer were one of those that they didn't want to, and Bauer ended up taking the, taking the bait. 
This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. We'll be hosting rooms for Locked On Dodgers once a week, and you can finally join in on our conversation as you listen here every day. Make sure to go download the Locker Room app right now. It's a perfect place for you to start or join conversations about the league or other leagues. You'll find other fans. You'll find us once sometimes. Uh, during the season, we'll definitely get into some post-game breakdowns and reacting to anything that happens. So be sure to join us this week, Thursday night. We'll be hosting a mailbag slash rap session with you fans. So go download the free Locker Room app right now, currently available on all iOS devices. Create a profile, link your Twitter, join the groups, find out everything you need. Follow Jeff at Snydog. Follow me at Vincent's91. I can't wait to hear you guys on Locker Room. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. If you listen to this podcast, you know about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. It's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, tastes great. It is a protein bar without that chalky taste and it all has chocolate and now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. The matchup for today is cookies and cream versus coconut almond. This is an easy call for me. Cookies and cream is probably my favorite ice cream, which means it always translates well to other things. And it very much so translates well to Built Bars. No offense to coconut almond, which is a great flavor in itself. Uh, but cookies and cream takes the cake for me. You can go to BuiltBar.com or Bar underscore Built on Twitter and see all the matchups every day and vote. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, I don't think I mind overpaying for uh, Trevor Bauer just because it was only a three-year deal. I think maybe if it was like, you know, the same average annual salary, but over like a seven-year deal or something like that, one of those like David Price type contracts, then I think I would have a problem with it. But I don't mind overpaying for guys if it's a two or three-year deal because, I mean, he's still going to be in his prime. You're going to get the best years out of him during that time. So I don't think I mind too much overpaying for him during that. But why can't more teams overpay for guys like that? Is it... Like you said, because they don't have, you mentioned the RSN and revenue and things like that. And looking at revenue for baseball teams, the average baseball team makes around $300 million in revenue. And the Dodgers payroll, it's like $200 million. You know, Miami Marlins pull in around $220 million in revenue. I think most teams can you know, get the players they want. You see the Dodgers, they already had a, a fully stacked lineup and then they go out and assign a, a guy like Trevor Bauer. So I think small market teams can do it as well. I think it just depends if they have the owner that's willing to spend the money. So why don't you think more small market teams try to go with this model of just going after the best guys? Because I kind of think uh, you will bring in more money if you have better players on your roster. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, being the owner of a team, you know, I believe the Cardinals guy said, you know, it's not a, you're not in it to make money, but at the end of the day, it's liquid assets. You know, if you buy the team, uh, you know, if you bought the Dodgers right now at, you know, let's say 4 billion and probably 10 years, you're going to be worth 8 billion, you double your investment. So, you know, you, and, but it, you got to put the product, you know, you got to put into your product. And, and that's what a lot of these teams 
it's kind of weird because I don't know, I guess they don't see enough, a dip in attendance or a dip in whatever, you know, sales or whatever else that, uh, to kind of go after it. We've seen a lot of teams kind of try to rebuild. We saw the Astros do, we saw the Cubs do it. Now they're kind of going back down and maybe what are going to have to rebuild in the next couple of years or, or probably the Cubs for sure. And yeah, a lot of the times when the owners are crying poor, it's because, they know they can get away with pretty much anything. And that's the biggest issue with, you know, baseball in general and kind of the way the game's going is that they're not necessarily looking out for the team or trying to put the best product on the field. Uh, you know, they're just trying to get by and, and not not lose too much, I guess, in terms of fans. So it kind of sucks for everyone. Obviously, the Dodgers have really benefited from the last few years, uh, being able to either get guys on on take on money in order to to get talent or whatever else it was. Uh, so it, it's benefit the Dodgers, so I don't mind, but I would really prefer to have every team out there trying to win. Yeah, I wish everyone, especially, you know, my team, the D-backs, wanted to spend money like the Dodgers because, I mean, it's baseball. There's no salary cap. There's no reason why we can't go out there and get the best players available if we truly wanted to. But I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about Clayton Kershaw because he is a guy, you know, entering his mid-30s now. So I want to know, how much do you think he has left in the tank? Yeah, Kershaw's an interesting case. He's really lost velocity the last few years. You know, earlier when he came up, he was around 96 when he first came up. Uh, all those MVP years, he was around 93, 94. And now he, you know, more in the 90, 91 range. Uh, so it, it, he's had to really change his style and change the way he pitches. You know, before when you're throwing 92, 93, 94, and then your slider's at 87, you know, it's a big difference in velocity. So the, the, you know, the slider looks like fastball and then it dips away. Whereas when they're both, you know, 91, it's a, it's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to hit 91 mile an hour fastball for these guys than it is 93. So it just makes a difference. He's had to really work on his slider. You know, he's had the curveball work. He's had to really pitch a little bit smarter. Uh, he's, he's, he's still one of the best at getting a first pitch strike over. And a lot, sometimes teams take advantage of that and swing early in the count. And we've definitely seen him give up some runs uh, because of that. But yeah, he, he's, you know, he, he would pitch like an ace last year. He had a relatively good postseason. He dominated the Brewers, uh, pitched okay against the Padres. It kind of got away from the team in later innings. Uh, had two wins in the World Series. So he's definitely got that, that between his smarts, kind of like, you know, Zach Greinke when he was around with the D-backs and now with the Astros where the velocity's gone down, but he's smart enough to still get outs and probably still be productive. Uh, but his days as like a number one ace are probably limited to maybe the next one or two years. Yeah, and watching Madison Bumgarner all year, I know a thing or two about pitchers, you know, losing their velocity because Madison Bumgarner, his fastball velocity was sitting in the 88 miles per hour all year long. If he touched 91, that was basically him touching like 97 miles per hour or something <laughs> like that because his fastball velocity pre uh, pretty much escaped him all year in 2020. But still looking at Clayton Kershaw's numbers, if you just looked at the traditional numbers, his strikeouts per nine is still right there with his career average the last two years. His ERA is still right there with what his career is so looking at the traditional numbers even though his velocity is going down he's still pretty much giving you the same production so it feels like he still has another couple years left but I do feel like you know we know about the Clayton Kershaw playoff struggles and it feels like that narrative kind of dispelled in 2020 but I want to bring back that narrative because I feel like some <laughs> of it dispelled because there was you know limited fans in the stands it wasn't the same playoff atmosphere so do you think if we go back to full capacity maybe by the MLB postseason, we'll, we'll see those Kershaw playoff struggles reemerge. Yeah, 2020 was a big year for Kershaw. It started out with the Astros cheating scandal kind of breaking and that the 2017 game five really 
getting dissected to where, you know, they didn't swing and miss at any of his off-speed pitches. So that, that helped his narrative a little bit for, you know, majority of fans. Obviously, Astro fans are, are still going to feel the way they feel. And, uh, you know, the, in the, like I said, in the postseason, he, he did pretty well. And I think with Kershaw, I think he's finally learned that he doesn't have to be perfect. I think that's always been the issue with him, especially early on when the Dodgers offense wasn't that great. He kind of did need to be perfect. Uh, and now that he kind of has offense behind him, he's been doing it a while. I think he realizes that he doesn't have to pitch perfect. He just has to give you five or six innings of, you know, one, two run ball. Uh, but when it comes to the fans, you know, that's also part of it. When you're, you're in front of 50,000 fans, it's a lot different than being in front of 10,000 fans. You know, it's very possible that he felt a little bit more comfortable uh, you know, pitching at home, which I don't know made a big difference because he's not like he was sleeping in his own bed, but you know, that might've been part of it. It was just maybe a culmination of a few things. You know, it's definitely, if it goes back and there's, you know, maybe more fans this year and he struggles, that's probably going to come back and, and come back to him. But at the end of the day, he got to be a World Series champion. And, yeah, I think he – I think the biggest thing is he just realized he doesn't have to be perfect anymore. Would you consider Clayton Kershaw the Peyton Manning of MOB pitchers? I mean, it's interesting because, obviously, you know, top of the game, never quite made it or ended up now they have one. You know, if Kershaw can win one maybe uh, as a number three starter over here in the next couple of years, kind of like Peyton when he was with the Broncos, it, mm -hmm. the narrative fits really well if you go that way. Uh, you know, obviously on my end, I'm not going to, you know, say Kershaw, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the, the struggles have been there. He's had really good games in the postseason. He's had uh, a couple clunkers, and it, it just all mixed in. And I think it's just the fact that we expect Kershaw to be the best pitcher in the game, and he hasn't necessarily happened in the postseason. And that's kind of what happened to Peyton Manning sometimes. Yeah, and Peyton Manning, he did get that second ring on a different franchise. So maybe to really execute the Peyton Manning path, he has to come over to the D-backs and help us win <laughs> one. You know, that might have to be what happens. But Bet online is the place you need to be this season if you're trying to make some money. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Right now, you can get into NBA, college basketball, NHL, MLB is coming up. You can do some future bets right now, but once the season's underway, you can bet on every game. They even cover awards, TV shows, reality TV, all that kind of stuff. Right on their website, betonline.ag, they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. And it's all free to sign up. And right now, you can get a 50% welcome bonus after your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. So go to betonline.ag, use the promo code Locked On, and get a free 50% welcome bonus after your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Today is the day the Locked On MLB podcast begins this division preview series. It's all on the Locked On MLB podcast feed right now. Every episode from now until the 31st features in-depth looks at each team in every division. Follow Locked On MLB on the Radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. One hot take that people really think I have is Mookie Betts over Mike Trout. I think Mookie Betts is the best player in baseball. I know Mike Trout, the numbers are insane, but I, I can't you know, argue with the facts that Mookie Betts you know, won a World Series on the Red Sox, then came over to the Dodgers, won another one. I know baseball, there's a lot of people. He wasn't the, just the only one doing that, but he is a culture setter. He's the culture changer, and I think he was you know, the main reason why. the. I think he was the most important reason why the Dodgers won the World Series in 2020. So what do you think of that take? Who do you have, Mookie Betts or Mike Trout, as the best player in baseball? Yeah, after seeing, you know, last year you asked me, I say, I say uh, Mike Trout, 
But after seeing Mookie Betts over a full season and postseason, it's really closed the gap to where it kind of depends what you want. You know, the thing with Mike Trout is that he's not going to win you any games if he's not hitting. You know, his defense has deteriorated a little bit. He's not really a big, big base stealer. Uh, if, you know, if he and the, the fact that he, obviously he's playing on the Angels sometimes, he hasn't really had the best talent around him. So if he hits a single, he kind of gets stuck on first base. But I think with Mookie, it, it's just, you know, he didn't hit that well in the postseason, but he scored like 20 runs in 19 games or whatever. Anytime he got on base, he was somehow, you know, disrupting. He scored from third on a couple grounders in the infield a couple times. You know, he stole bases. He won everyone a free taco in the World Series. So <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, as a complete baseball player, Mookie Betts is probably the guy, you know, in, in terms of everything. You know, Mike Trout probably has more talent and obviously the better numbers and everything else. Uh, but, it, you know, after what I saw the last year, I'm not entirely sure I would trade Mookie Betts for Mike Trout straight up, especially maybe in a one year, like, you know, for the next year. But for mm -hmm. the next 10 years, you know, Mookie Betts at the very least, even if he doesn't hit, he's going to be a good defender. And, you know, assuming he doesn't lose too much speed, he'll still be a good, uh, you know, base dealer and, and things of that nature. And obviously he brought a whole different mentality to the Dodgers, a team that won seven straight NOS titles without him. They weren't, you know, they, they had been to two World Series without him, but he brought the mentality from day one. I'm here to win a World Series. Anytime he had an interview, the word World Series or this is not our job, blah, 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 whatever it was, was said every single time. And, you know, I, not a, a slight to Mike Trout, but he's just maybe not that type of leader. And he's never really had a team to kind of rally around him. So uh, he, he's been a little bit of a benefit of, uh, or a you know product of that. But yeah, Mookie Betts, it, it was just a different, it was different seeing him every single day last year. Yeah, and I get the Mike Trout doesn't have talent argument. I totally agree. He's had right. one of the worst pitching rotations in all of baseball since he's entered the league. I just think Mookie Betts, like you mentioned, I think he just has more intangibles to him, the, the things you don't see. I think he brings a, a certain electricity to the game, a certain just overall joy to the game that you don't really see with Mike Trout. Yes, he smiles and stuff, and he looks like a great guy. looks like he's having fun, but I think – Mookie Betts, his personality radiates to all the other players in his uh, on his team. I don't know. I could say that by uh, about Mike Trout. I think Mookie Betts' energy just radiates to a different level. So I'm always riding with Mookie Betts over Mike Trout in the who is the best player in baseball argument. But Vince, uh, give me one young player that we should keep an eye out for this season. It could be a prospect or it could just be a guy who is already on a major league roster who you think is going to break out this season. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the Jeff route on this one. Jeff is very high on Gavin Lux, who was <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, who was you know he he came up 2019, started the last few few uh, weeks of the season, ended up uh, working his way to, onto the starter in the playoffs. Kind of struggled last year, you know, missed the beginning of camp. Kind of started off slow, 60 game season. He never really got into the rhythm. Uh, so far this spring, he's been really, really good. And, you know, you think the Dodgers are going to probably give him the everyday second base role with the whole full 162. You know, they'll probably have a little bit longer leash on him than they did last year. So, you know, that's the one guy who's probably going to make the biggest impact this year uh, without injuries. Obviously, if injuries happen, that can change uh, for different reasons and different guys. But that's the one right now who's going to be on the opening day roster that's going to make a move this year. 
My biggest pet peeve with Jeff is whenever a guy gets an out on the Dodgers, he's like, that 115 miles per hour, you know, off the bat <laughs> with a launch angle of this degrees, that would have been a hit 54% of the time. It's like, let's just relax. There's players <laughs> playing defense for a reason, uh, making these outs. But uh, I got a couple of questions for you about the Padres and what, you know, if you think they could overcome the Dodgers. But I think I'm going to save that for the third segment today. So I'm going to turn over, turn the pot over to you now. You could ask me your D-backs questions. All right, here we go. D-back. So, you know, it's been uh, a kind of a tumble since, you know, 2017, kind of a, a weird way they've gone about it. Uh, it seemed that, that, you know, and this was probably the most different offseason than anything for you guys since it doesn't really seem like they're going for it this year. So for all us Dodger fans who maybe didn't pay attention to the D-backs, kind of, you know, talk about the offseason and kind of the outlook for the season. Yeah, the offseason, uh, you know, it wasn't like the Dodgers offseason where you're pulling in. I mean, Trevor Bauer by himself uh, is getting paid more money than all the players the D-backs signed this offseason because they signed three dudes to major league contracts, Tyler Clippard, Joaquin Soria, and uh, Drew Cabrera for a total of $8.5 million, each one on one-year deals. And so Joaquin Soria, he's expected to be the closer uh, for this team. Tyler Clippard was just announced yesterday to be out for the next six weeks because of a shoulder strain or something along those lines and a Jubal Cabrera he's basically gonna be a super utility guy for the D-backs playing all over the infield and right now the outlook for 2020 is I mean we all know the two best teams in the division are the Padres and Dodgers so they're gonna be hopefully fighting for a wild card spot and fighting for third place but really what the D-backs are doing are just basically running it back they're hoping 2020 was just a fluke it, it was an awful season you know Ketel Marte couldn't hit Eduardo Espar couldn't hit Luke Weaver couldn't pitch Madison Bumgarner couldn't pitch you basically got career worst seasons from like eight of your main contributors in your lineup and rotation and but in 2019 if you look at those same guys they basically had career years so in 20 in 2021 they're hoping that the players that they have on their team are closer to their 2019 version than their 2020 version and if that's the case the d-backs do have enough talent to make a run at the wild card will it happen i guess we'll have to wait and see uh, i know people don't like to usually hear that cliche but they have the talent in the rotation i think especially led by zach allen who's one of the best pitchers in baseball since coming over to the d-backs luke weaver he's shown us some upside in 2019 Bumgarner hopefully could turn back the clock Ketel Marte was fourth in MVP voting in 2019 Escobar had 35 home runs this season so there's a lot of talent in this D-backs lineup it's just whether if they could get back to that 2019 form and hopefully 2020 would just really just a fluke season yeah yeah I mean that you look at the names and the rotations you know has the potential to be pretty strong uh if you had to kind of pick one thing that the d-backs are going to be above average at this year whether it's you know defense pitching bullpen lineup whatever it is what do you think they are going to shine at the most in 2021 uh probably offensive versatility because they just have so many dudes that they could just plug and play everywhere and they also goes to their defensive versatility because like i said a Drupal cabrera he's going to be playing every position in the infield Ketal Marte. He's been the second baseman for the last two years. He's going to be playing primarily center field this season for the D-backs. Nick Ahmed won the best defensive shortstops. Eduardo Escobar is going to be playing second base, third base for the D-backs team. So they got some switch hitters. They got some lefty, uh, left-handed hitters. So I think that they're going to be able to throw out lineups where they could really match up with whoever's on the mound uh, with their batters. And defensively, they're going to be able to match up as well uh, and go with whoever is strongest that day. 
uh, uh, you know, at their defensive position. So I think just overall versatility is going to be the strength of this D-backs team because they're pretty deep at every position now. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's because not every player at the at uh, each position is a star player. But they're deep at each position. They go about two players deep at each position. They have multiple guys that could play multiple positions. So I think versatility is going to be the main key for the D backs this season. All right. Yeah. And then you know, just looking at the roster, there's a mix of young guys. Not too much. You know, pretty pretty young overall. Uh, so you know, that's good to see. But you know, let's just say things don't work out, you know, are there any guys on this, you know, you, you mentioned all the guys they signed one-year deals. Uh, do you, you see them sticking it out through the season or, you know, halfway through they maybe start un- un- unloading some of these guys and trying to get back some prospects? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely depends on how the season goes. If the D-backs are really out of it by the time, you know, August ends or by whatever the trade deadline is, I think, yeah, they probably will try to unload some of their contracts because you just look at that 2020 season, uh, in that 2020 offseason last year, they went out and they traded for Starling Marte to hopefully make a run in 2020. And then when things were just weren't going right, they traded him before uh, his option was up this year. So that's something they could do again if they have dudes on expiring contracts that they don't want to pay in the future and the team just isn't going right, uh, going in the right direction. I could see them unloading some contracts again. But uh, they, they have a lot of young dudes in the minor leagues on this roster. So I don't. If they do start unloading some expiring contracts, I think you're definitely going to see some of the younger players on this roster get some more playing time. A guy like Dalton Varshow, a guy like JB Braskakis. I think they definitely want to see what their young guys have if this team just starts faltering for some reason. But knowing the D backs, they're probably going to be competitive till the end of August, just ba- uh, barely treading water. You know, making us think that they could go on a little wild card run by the time September rolls around and then end up falling short. Honestly. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, we talked about Clayton Kershaw on my side. Let's talk a little bit about Madison Bumgarner. Obviously, you know, first year of a five-year deal wasn't the best. Uh, but, no. you know, what you talked about his diminished velocity. But was it just a matter of that? Was it just a matter of the short season kind of messing everybody up? I know he was injured for a little bit. Uh, do you think there's a chance for him to redeem himself in the next, uh, well, at least this year, but maybe the next four years? I'm hoping there's a chance. I mean, talking to Locked On Giants guy Ben Kaspik, he said if uh, if we talked before the signing, he would have warned me not to go out and get Madison Bumgarner. He said he saw the decline in San Fran, and it was a major decline with the D-backs last season, like a 6-4-8 ERA. I don't think he had a one star where he completed six innings. That fastball velocity was at about 88 miles per hour, and he just doesn't have the spin rate on it. If it was more of a cutter, maybe uh, it would be more of an effective pitch, but like a, like a Zach Granke, like a Clay Kershaw, he just kind of has to reinvent himself as a pitcher. So I'm still holding out hope for the guy because he is a three, uh, three-time World Series champion, is a World Series MVP. But based off what I saw in 2020, it wasn't that great. He gave up a lot of home runs. He had like 13 home runs given up in like 50 innings pitched somewhere uh, around that area. So it wasn't the best uh, mass in Baumgartner. And I think the best thing we could do, which is lower our expectations, is not going to be the number one ace we signed, or he's not going to be the number one ace that we thought we were getting when we signed him. Zach Allen, it's clearly the number one ace on this team, but Merrill Kelly's probably better than Baumgartner. Luke Weaver might be better than Bumgarner. So really, we're, we might have to think of Bumgarner more as a number three or number four starter. And that's sad to say, considering we're paying him $23 million this season. 
<laughs> yeah, it, I mean, at least for us Dodger fans, we we uh, don't really mind if Madison Bumgarner is struggling. But you know, you don't <laughs> like to kick a guy when he's down. But uh, you know, same thing on, on your end in, in terms of young prospects. Or, you know, there might be a, a few more for you that you know the Dodgers don't have as much room uh, for some of these young guys. But you mentioned Dalton Varsho. You mentioned, uh, I believe, someone else. But you know, who mm-hmm. are some of these other young guys we should maybe look forward to either seeing early. Maybe not early in the year, but maybe toward the end of the year and, and in the next few years uh, with the Dodgers or against yeah. the Dodgers. Yeah, I'll give you three young guys real quick. As you said, Dalton Varsho, he's their top main catching prospect. And right now there's a bit of a log jam because Carson Kelly's the catcher right now. But Carson Kelly struggles again 2021. You might see Dalton Varsho up there. It was a guy in the minors that could get you 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. Got to work on his defense. But that's just something you don't normally see from a catcher. J.B. Bruskakis, who was acquired in that Zach Ranke trade, phenomenal this spring training. Four innings pitched, nine strikeouts, no earned runs, no walks allowed. He seemed really dominant in spring training, so hopefully the D-backs calm up at some time during the season. But those are two guys who are going to be starting off in the minor leagues. The main guy who you probably got to watch out for is going to be on this opening day roster is Josh Rojas, also acquired in that Zach Ranke trade. He's considered to maybe be a breakout star this season. He's been destroying spring training. I think he's number one and hits among all qualified players in spring training. So he's probably the main guy you want to watch out for this season if you're talking about immediate impact from young guys on this D-backs team. All right. So, you know, the the, the pipeline is there to maybe be uh, a, maybe not a full threat to the Dodgers and Padres, but at least a, a threat for a wild card, especially with the talk of expansion in the next few years. But paint, last question for you. Paint me a picture of <laughs> uh, the D-backs, I, you know, realistic – Best case scenario season. Realistic best case scenario is probably uh, whatever the minimum amount of wins is to get that second wild card, whether it's 88, probably 88 to 90 wins. That's probably the best case scenario, a wild card spot, because Zach Allen is going to be a stud once again. He's going to be battling for that Cy Young Award, I truly believe, this season. Masson Bumgarner turns back the clock a little bit. Luke Weaver finally lives up to his potential. And then you get bounce-back seasons from guys like Ketel Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Cole Calhoun continues to just smash a home runs left and right. Christian Walker, the same deal. So, as I said before, the D-backs have the talent to be a home run smashing team, a, a team that could have a pretty solid rotation. It's just whether can they get the 2019 version of these guys and not the 2020 version. That's really the biggest question. And if they do that, if they get the 2019 version from all these guys with a bounce back season from Aston Bumgarner, they could definitely compete for one of those wild card spots, which is the absolute best case scenario because I don't see any universe where they overtake the top two teams in the division. Yeah, maybe if, uh, you know, so yeah, well, I would have to happen for that. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get on to the, the third segment. I know you said you had a couple questions, so, you know, let's get back. I'm sure there's going to be some back and forth with the Padre talk. Yeah, and that's where I, really where I want to uh, start off because we know what the Padres did this offseason. They had uh, a crazy haul. They went out Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove. They even signed that dude uh, from the Korean League, which I think really got underreported because he's – just look at the numbers. I don't pretend to watch the Korean League, but his numbers are insane. So uh, do you think the Padres did enough to overtake the Dodgers in this division? Yeah, I don't, you know, if – Everybody's healthy full season. I don't think they've done enough to overtake the Dodgers. But what they did do is make themselves good enough to, if the Dodgers stumble, they can be right there. They obviously are, are counting on Machado and Tatis to kind of be the, the guys in the top top to middle of the order. They're going to – 
for me that it's they're counting a lot on Will Myers to be really good again and Eric Cosmer to be really good again, which I'm not entirely sold on over the course of 162 game season. Jake Cronenworth, who was really good last year, but did tail off toward the end. You know, sophomore slumps are, are you know, that's not just a cliche. They do happen sometimes when pitchers start figuring you out and when they get to see you more often. So there's potential there. But like I said, they, they put themselves in a position with that rotation to really, you know, make it not quite a toss up. But you know, the Dodgers had a couple guys that struggle or get hurt, and the and the Padres are right there. Uh, you Darvish, you know, like I said, he he pitched in the NL Central last year, but he was really good the last half of 2019. So it wasn't you know just some random season where he all of a sudden he was good again. Uh, Blake Snell, who had had kind of like similar to Trevor Bauer in a sense, where they've had one really good Cy Young year, a couple other good solid years, and then a year or two where they, you know, maybe weren't the best. And if you look at his just counting stats, ERA and things of that nature, you don't necessarily consider him an ace, but as we saw in the world series, he you know, was able to dominate the Dodgers and maybe would have been able to dominate them a little longer had they left them in, but uh, we'll never know. Uh, but yeah, I think they, they've done enough to make me be excited about games mattering in September. Yeah. And I think the Padres on paper are probably just as good as the Dodgers. I think I definitely lean Dodgers more. I think the rotations are neck and neck, but I like the Dodgers rotation depth a little bit more. As we mentioned, Dustin made Tony Gonsolin. I don't think the Padres have a number six and seven, seven starter. That could be number three guys in other rotations. And still that Dodgers lineup, I think I'm going to uh, ride with over the Padres lineup. It's close though with Tatis and Machado, but I think Mookie Betts, as we mentioned, is the best player in baseball and Bellinger you know he's probably what top five to seven guy as well if you're just talking position players so i'll probably still lean dodgers over padres right now but if you told me at the end of the year padres are winning the division and they're beating the dodgers in a seven game playoff series i don't think i'd be shocked by that result at all yeah that's kind of where they put themselves where dodgers don't win the division or they were you know somehow fall to the padres in a, in a division in a series i wouldn't be surprised but uh, still got a roll with the Dodgers are a little bit more established on these guys. You know, last year they, they led the league with 43 wins and Cody Bellinger, and Max Muncie had really, you know, down years. Uh, and the only one that really had a, a year that was probably playing above his head was AJ Pollock, who had a really good year and then did nothing in the postseason. So a snake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. AJ, AJ Pollock, uh, not too revered after some comments uh, yeah, a snake, <laughs> in Arizona, but uh yeah, let's let's get to some predictions. Obviously, I gave you best case scenario, and you've talked a lot about Zach Gallon. So I'm not going to ask you who's going to be the best pitcher for the D-backs this year. I'm going to ask you mm -hmm. where does he finish in the Cy Young? Oh, I think he finishes top two, and I'm not sure it's two, honestly. For my <laughs> locked on preview for you know uh, the locked on network, I said I said that those exact words honestly because I think Zach Allen, you know, up until his last like two starts of the year was the Cy Young winner. Now he wasn't getting the acclaim like some other guys was, but his streak of allowing three earned runs or fewer to begin his major league career still continued in 2020. I just feel like that was. No, not talked about enough, honestly. Your pitcher is going out there every day and giving up no more than three and runs. I mean, what more do you need to do to be a Cy Young Award winner, honestly? So if he does more of that in 2021, why not him for the Cy Young Award? He had a sub-3 ERA last year. Maybe he has to get his ERA maybe to a sub-2.4 or lower than that. His strikeouts per nine is pretty high. Uh, I, the only thing that holds me back with Zach Allen is they're talking about a limit. Uh, a, a, 
innings limit with him in 2021 because, of course, 2020, you didn't pitch a lot of innings, and they don't want to just go from 50 innings pitch or whatever it was last year to 200 innings pitch this year. So I think that's going to be the biggest knock against him. I think we might look up at the end of the season and be like, dang, Zach Allen only had 150 innings pitch this year because they're trying to rest his arm. But the dude is like 25, 26 years old, so I think he could handle it. Give him 200 innings and let the man go win the Cy Young Award, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and the other part of that is that maybe everyone else will be. And I don't think I don't see any Dodgers, maybe other than Bauer, making more than 150 innings pitch, just based on how the Dodgers take care of their players. And honestly, most pitchers are like that this year or nowadays, where five innings is kind of you know the, the threshold or the bar, uh, pretty lower bar than obviously back in the day when guys were throwing complete games every single day. Yeah, I'm real quick. How do you feel about that? Because I know we really saw it play it out, play it out on the on the big stage of Blake Snell, you know, being taken out when he was in the groove. But you had that one guy get on base, so it's like, all right, let's stick with our philosophy of taking dudes out after five or six innings. So, how do you overall? How do you feel about that approach? Do you think you should just always take the dude out, you know, that third time through the lineup, or do you want to put more of a feel of the game and see how the game is, you know, flowing and things like that? Yeah, I've, you know, as a Dodger fan, analytics play a huge part in what they've done and how they do things. And, you know, every for every ground ball that goes to where the second baseman should have been, there's, you know, probably three or four ground balls up the middle that end up getting stopped and different things in that nature. We've seen a lot of pitchers on the Dodgers kind of become those two times through a lineup and then tiptoe the third time, kind of uh, waiting to see what happens and, and things like that. And when we even saw Kershaw had got what, three like four outs on like five pitches in game five of the world series. And they still ended up taking them out because that was the plan going into the inning. So I, you know, as me bridging the gap between kind of old school mentality and, and the numbers, I would maybe like a little bit more feel, you know, Kevin cash, I don't know. It's just hard for me to think all of a sudden he made Mookie Betts, Corey Seager and Justin Turner look really bad. It's hard for me to think like all of a sudden the next time through he was you know going to get rocked. And it, it happened, I, I guess, in game two where uh, Chris, Ta- you know, he was no hitting, I think, through into the fifth inning. They ended up getting a runner on base. Chris Taylor hit a home run. Then they pulled him. Uh, but the other part, too, is just that. You know, at least in that specific situation, the Rays bullpen hadn't been good all year, especially Nick Anderson in the postseason. So, yeah, I think for me, you know, Dave Roberts, he gets criticized a lot and, and sometimes rightfully so for going with gut over numbers, leaving Kate or putting Kate, leaving Kate and Kershaw in in 2019 to face Rendon and Juan Soto. You know, that's that was more of a field play than a numbers play. So I think it, it you kind of have to find the balance. But I do think that maybe, you know, letting some of these guys find their way maybe not in the world series but at least in the regular season let them find their way a little bit more and see what you got uh but obviously you know some teams have the luxury of being able to do that and some teams are fighting for uh that playoff spot so it's hard to kind of figure out yeah and i think i would have got it more if the rays were putting in someone who was going to be shut down but they were putting in a guy who what he gave up like five consecutive outings or something with a run scored or something so it wasn't even like you were putting in uh you know as dominant dude i think the other question is who is the one pitching? Blake Snell, you know, a former Cy Young Award winner, your best pitcher on your staff. If it was maybe your number three starter, I would get it. But if it's Clayton Kershaw, like you said, with Dave Roberts, if it's Blake Snell with the race, if it's your best guy, I wanted the ball in my best player's hands. And that's just kind of how I feel. I definitely think there should be a balance between analytics and feel. But, when, you know, in a moment as big as the World Series, I think I just want the ball in my best player's hands. And I'm willing to go down, you know, with, with my best player, honestly, ride or die. But, you know, I, I do want to ask you just real quick, 
overall, how do you rank this division one through five? How do you see it shaping up at the end of the year? Yeah, you know, no bias. I still think the Dodgers are number one. Padres no number, yeah. <laughs> Padres number two. Uh, but like I said, I'm not surprised if that somehow flips. But it would take maybe a couple injuries or down years on the Dodgers end, and maybe some probably high flyer years on the Padres end. Uh, but you know, the Giants keep getting talked about as like a sneaky good team. Uh, I don't see that pitching being sneaky good. <laughs> Alex Alex Woods already. Uh, injured a little bit, you know, Scott Casimir pitched for them today who, you know, I hope he's not on he's the, still in the league. Yeah. Well, he's back in the league. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I, their offense was kind of annoying last year, but again, 60 game sample, a lot of teams can be annoying over 60 games. So honestly, it's going to be kind of interesting to see the diamondbacks giants. And I think Rockies are, are kind of far and below the worst team in the division. So it's going to be interesting to see how you guys stack up, but since I'm talking to you, I'll put you guys three and put the Giants four. And I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to take – I'm always going to take a chance to put the Giants down. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah, thanks for the respect <laughs> for that, putting us number three. But, yeah, uh, you know, last year I had money on the Giants finishing last in the NOS, and I lost that bet. So I'm going to have more respect for the Giants entering this season. They just got some really – they just have a really weird team, honestly. Just it, I was talking to Ben, the Lockdown Giants guy. It's just really a land of misfit toys out there. I mean, Kevin Gosman, he just kind of resurrected his career with the team. Mike. Yastrzemski, you know, a 29-year-old MVP star all of a sudden after breaking out as a 28-year-old rookie. It's just things you don't normally see. Johnny Cueto on his last legs uh, still pitching out there. So they're a pretty weird team, but they're feisty. You know, they're hungry. And so for me, I'm going to probably go with the same rankings you have. I'll go Dodgers 1, Padres 2. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if those two were flip-flop. I think the Padres are definitely going to be the hungrier team. They're going to be the team that's trying to prove something because the Dodgers, they won the World Series. They've been the best team in the NL for the last, what, half? decade or or more so they don't really have you know much left to prove i don't even think they really have to worry about seeding just getting in the dance honestly i'm gonna put the d-backs three of course because i definitely think they have more talent than the giants i'll go giants four i think the consensus is uh the rockies finishing last place because trevor story he's gonna be a free agent at the end of the year so they're probably gonna have to move him as well at the trade deadline yeah, the Rockies have definitely been a fall since they took the Dodgers to game 163 in 2018. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the nature of the beast. You know, the division as a whole could be, you know, a lot of people sleep on it. You know, I do think the Giants and D-backs can probably make some noise into September. You know, whether the fact of them winning the wild or making a wild card is kind of different, but, you know, they're at least making noise, they're for sure going to do that. And it's going to be fun. You know, every year it's fun. Obviously, the Rockies are a little different just because they're kind of the, First time in a while where there's been like a really, really bad team. You know, you look at the roster, you probably wouldn't be able to name more than five players, especially after this last offseason when they traded Arenado, David Dahl left and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but the, you know, D-Packs have been a, a little bit of annoyance in the past to the Dodgers. Yeah. So I think those are, that's the big thing is, you know, at least for the Dodgers and Padres sake is how they play against the Giants and D-Packs. That's going to determine the division. Yeah, and for the Rockies, I think they have a pretty solid rotation, actually. I mean, if you base it off the 2020 yeah, season, yeah. I think it's pretty feisty. But that lineup, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be scoring many runs. So we'll see if that rotation can see how far that rotation could carry them, honestly. But I think the consensus is them finishing last place. But that's probably all the questions I have for you today, Vince. Do you have any more for me before you head out of here? No, I think we, we've touched on kind of everything. I know a lot more about the D-backs than I did coming into this. So that's you know, that's always the basis, especially for our fans, especially the fact that they play each other 19 times a year. So it's good to know who's on the other side. 
Yeah, that's true. And we'll definitely get you on again in the future where it's just not a random crossover day. Would love to have you on the pod before the D-backs play the Dodgers for their first you know, series of the year. So we'll definitely have to link up again in the future. Yeah, especially with this new third segment we've been running. That's definitely a, a nice way to fill out a segment before a series starts. All right, that'll do it. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. Make sure to tell your friends and family. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Dodgers. Jeff is on Twitter at Snydog. I'm at Vincent Perio. Download the Locker Room app and make sure to follow Jeff at Snydog and me at Vincent's91. We will be hosting our show on Thursday night. If you need to get a hold of us, you can do so through DMs on any of those accounts. Or you can send us an email, LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. Or get a hold of us via phone slash text at 323-863-5625. We're here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be with us when you get in your car or if you're at home. Take your smart device to play podcasts, Locked On Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. Have a good one. D, I say D-O, D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard, all hard and all thumbs. They're my Los Angeles, your Los Angeles, our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant? Bye!